So we start, this week is Tetzaveh. So the first Pasuk in Tetzaveh is Ve'ata Tetzaveh. Now what's strange is that normally we begin a, a portion and it says Vaidaber Hashem El Moshe Lemor. And God said to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, something like that. In this case, there's only Ve'ata and, and you. I mean, and you. So sometimes when you say, and you, you might be angry at someone. Hey, you, you're a little angry. So it's strange that it begins. Also, the, the, it's not daber, it's not tell the people, it's tetzaveh, command. Command, command what? Command if in Israel, the children of Israel, and they should take to you. And then the question is, why to Moses? Moses is now, what is he going to do? Shemen zayit zach, pure olive oil. Katit lamaor, so it has to be uh, for kindling of lamp. Uh, I mean, sorry, uh, it's, it's uh, for lighting. Lahalot ner tamid, to light the menorah, to keep it lit always. So the strange is command. The strange is take. Why take? You should bring. Take. This is only the oil for the menorah, not the oil for anointing. And how can I command someone in the desert to bring olive oil? Where is he supposed to get olive oil? It's not like he's going to go to Whole Foods and, you know, it's on the shelf. Where there's no olives in the desert. Where is he going to get olives in the desert? At this time, we don't really see them having any relationship with merchants yet. And even if they had a relationship with merchants, how could they buy the olive oil and be sure it was pure olive oil? I have the FDA and they tell me that the olive oil I buy is not really olive oil. <laughs> so so how, is, how is God commanding them to do something that they can't accomplish? And you tell me, okay, so God is going to make a miracle because, for example, the stones that they were supposed to bring says, where are they going to find the stones in the desert? Where are they going to find different things? says, whatever they couldn't find, God brought to them in the clouds. So if God's bringing to them in the clouds, why are you commanding to bring the olive oil? And why are they commanding to bring it to Moses? What is Moses? He's not the collection guy. He's not the inventory guy. He's not the purchasing agent. He has other people have to handle it. Why in this case, different than almost any other case, they say, they should bring to you. You're going to bring it to you. Bring it to your brother. His brother's going to have to light the menorah anyway. So why don't you just bring it to Aaron and let Aaron collect the oil. Why is Moses having to get the oil? As some say, there's a machlok at who is going to be the high priest. Moses always thought he was going to be the high priest. And then God breaks the news to him that, no, it's going to be your brother. But he, he then acts as the high priest for the first seven days. So in some ways he is the high priest, he isn't the high priest, but still, why are we sending when the... Did he, when did he break the news of that? So it seems he breaks the news to him later on, because he's going to tell him to dress his brother. Right, but when was the first um, inkling that Moshe might have known that? I think you see in this parasha. But he abrogated that anyway, because... The Kaddish Baruch who wanted him 
to go to Paron. He said, I've got a speech problem. I cannot go. I cannot go. That's, when he, that's when he abrogates the priesthood. Right. That's when he pr- abrogated it. And, and I think the genius behind it is to show you really was what your argument was a few minutes ago. Was that you have to have a split between the leadership and the high priest. There has to be a, a separation. There has to be one, one king and one priest. Not both. Well, Moshe theoretically wouldn't have been the, the leader anyway. Would have had to come from the Davidic dynasty, right? The question is, uh, would the genealogy of the priesthood been Moshe versus Aaron? They both came from the right place. Right. They, so Moshe knew that the priesthood was coming from Levi, and knew it was coming from Amram. So it could have either been him or his brother or. His kids so or his brother's partial, kids. Where, where, where do we learn that? We don't, we don't see specific. So we don't from this... He doesn't, he he doesn't, we don't see him telling Aaron that Aaron's going to... Right. Right. Yeah, yeah but, but... The kings are coming out of Miriam. Right? Yes. So they're all coming from the same family. Miriam is married to Nachshon ben Aminadab. Right. And so her children... Will eventually become the the, king, the right. kings. Well, same family, brother <laughs> sister. <laughs> so, the the one interesting thing is what we started with is that Moshe's name doesn't appear. So we start with those questions, right? Why you? Why command? Why are they bringing it to Moshe? What does Moshe have to do specifically with olive oil? That's different than any other thing. And where are they supposed to get the olive oil and what are you supposed to do? Why olive oil? Moshe's name, we see, doesn't appear in this whole perasha. The whole, the whole tetzaveh, there's no name of Moshe. So it says the Baal Haturim, Lo hizkir Moshe bazeh. Moshe is not mentioned in this whole portion. Ken Which is not true for the entire Bible. Shemeshenolad Moshe. From the time that Moses is born, there's no place that he's not mentioned. So he says, he says, why, why would it be? Why is Moshe not mentioned in this whole portion specifically? So the Balaturim says that next week, we get next week, when the when they commit the sin of the golden calf, and God says to Moses, separate yourself. I'm going to kill all of the people. Moses says, please erase me from your book. If you, don't, if you don't forgive the people. And so since Moses said to God, erase me from your book, he had to be erased from one of the portions. So God said, next week, next week, next week, next week. Finally comes back around to the next year, comes to this week. That's what Palaturim brings. It's hard to understand that. Comes back to this week, and he says, okay, we need to take Moses' name out of this portion. Which would seem that maybe the whole Torah was put together at once and not, and not over the 40 years. Rabbeinu uh, Yadis. Parashiyot, that parasha has been that way from the very beginning? That's the question. When is that? Pa- right. It was always that way. From the very beginning? From the very beginning. Moshe wrote it without his name. We're going to see No, but difference. what I'm saying is that the division between parashiyot. The division of parashiyot was by Ezra. Ezra. Yeah. So really, Ezra determined this. Ezra determined. It, it wasn't like. But Ezra had. But Ezra had no. But Ezra. But Ezra. But Ezra had a misorah that this is the, the we're breaking. 
So he says that he, he basically, the, the Baal Turim, learns this from his father, Rabbeinu Asher, the Rosh, who discusses the matter at length. He says that, Moshe, that the absence of Moshe's name is surprising. He says that uh, Chazal, the rabbis teach us, that you have to be very careful with what you say. Because what you say creates a reality. And Moses saying, erase my name, creates the reality that his name needs to be erased. Uh, the, the problem with all of this is well, you're punishing. So one of the other things, I'll just bring it, I, I don't have it written, but just to, to remember now, Moses is, the anniversary of Moses' death and Moses' birthday was yesterday, the 7th of Adar. We almost always read this parasha the week of Moses' death. So the Vilna Gaon says that the reason his name is not there is so that we should remember that he's not with us and we have a tremendous loss without Moses. And this always happens this week. So we go through this week, we ask the question, where's Moses' name? Ah, but this is the week Moses died. Moses is not with us. We have to realize how lost we are without him. And we said that the day after Moses died, it says that they forgot 3,000 halachot. The next day, 3,000 things went missing from, from Yoshua. By the way, you know, last week we spoke about that um, Haman liked the idea of Batar because it was the month that Moses, Moses died. Away. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the question is if Haman was so up on things, you know, that he knew when Moses died, he didn't die, how could he even know when Moses was born? But it doesn't. But but I don't agree. I don't think that. I think that Haman Haman's thinking was right. I think that the that fact that right. Moses died right. makes it a disconnect, and that's that's what happens. Yeah. So now, so the the problem though we have with this that Moses should be punished for saying Mecheni na erase me from your book is strange. He says because Moses did this to save the people, and Moses should not be punished for this by removing his name. He should be rewarded. Otherwise, God would have destroyed the people. God says, you know, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses says that. So how are you punishing him? So we should, we should also dis- the, uh, address that, that uh, he, Moshe says, Mecheni na mesifrecha. Erase me from your book. The question there is, what is sifrecha? Which book? What book is he referring to? Uh, and we, we see that uh, later time when there's the people who are complaining, Moshe actually tells God that if this is how you want to deal with the situation to destroy the people, just kill me now. And then he doesn't kill him. So the answer that he said it, and uh, it's a little rough. Now, we, we, just to try to, to relate this, we know that Noah spent 365 days in the ark. 365 days, exactly one year. He went into the ark, and he came out exactly one year later. Now, now, what do we know about one year? We say that, that when a person passes away, a person could be sent to Gehinam, to hell, and the duration of the worst, right, the worst wicked person in hell is only up to one year. And that's why we say Kaddish up to one year and we stop generally at 11 months because we want to say that the person that I'm mourning for is not a wicked person stuck there for the whole year. But Noah is in the ark for one year. And if you imagine Noah's life in the ark, 
it's a living hell because all he's doing is taking care of everything aboard cleaning the the mess I mean the smell must have been beyond imagination we go one day to the Bronx Zoo and you can't breathe and they already cleaned up the day before imagine keep 365 days worth of the Bronx Zoo in your uh, in your garage now at the end of the the flood Moses first sends out the raven the raven circles comes back and then Moses sends out the dove the dove comes back with something in its beak what does the dove have? an olive twig an olive twig and it's as if the, uh, the, 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 the dove is saying, I would rather, you know, I would rather the bitterness, the bitter olive branch from God than honey from you, from you Noah. I don't want to be here anymore. I'd rather be out there. But I can't go. He sends him out again and he doesn't come back. We often compare the dove to the Jewish people. In Shir Hashirim, we have a verse that tells us we are like the dove. So Am Yisrael is compared to the dove, and the dove is bringing this olive twig. Am Yisrael is bringing to Moshe. Concerning, that's what we see in this parashah, that Am Yisrael is commanded to take olive oil and bring it to Moshe. So we compare that to Moshe, Moshe and the olive oil, to Noah and the olive branch. The children of Israel to the dove. The children of Israel bring the olive oil. The dove brings the olive branch. Connected. It says, we find in Midrash Tanhuma that the reason Hashem commanded us to light the menorah with pure olive oil is intimately related to the incident with the dove. It says, after the Mabul, Knesset Israel are compared to a dove. As we know, Noah sent the dove from the ark to check, and we call the ark the teva, to check whether or not the water had receded from the surface of the earth. And it's written, the dove came back to him, we just mentioned. It says, the Midrash continues, And you shall command. Like we mentioned, the Midrash cites the pasuk from Shir Hashiri. It says, you are beautiful, my love, you are beautiful, and your eyes are like the eyes of a dove. God said to them, you resemble a dove. How so? When Noah was in the ark, it's written there. I'm just quoting the Midrash based on what I said. He sent out the raven, kept going, the dove came back, etc. And just as the dove brought light to the world, meaning to show that the world is, is born again, he says, so too, B'nai Israel, who's compared to the dove, brought olive oil and lit the lamp before Hashem, as it states, you should bring and command and bring the olive oil. The Midrash goes on and questions why they were commanded to bring pure olive oil that, they had, been, that had been thoroughly crushed. Why not find some other oil, such as oil from nuts, or oil from radishes, or oil from fish? It answers that olive oil signifies illumination. That's the Midrash. Olive oil is special for lighting. The commentaries on the Midrash explain when the, when the dove brought Noah the olive leaf, Noah realized that the mabul, that the flood had seized. As a result, he and his family abandoned the darkness of the ark and entered the light of the world. We still need further clarification. 
The Khatam Sofer brings down in his Derashot, in the name of the Yalkut Reuveni, concerning the juxtaposition of the Parashiot. This parasha, Parsha Terumah, so last week's parasha, Parsha Terumah, concludes with the word, the last word of last week's portion was? Nechoshet. Nechoshet is? Copper. The first word of this week's parasha, Ve'ata. So he says, the Khatam Sofer, we have to know that the last two words, the last word of last week's parasha could be broken down into two words. Nechoshet. Nunchet. Noach. Shintet. Taf. Shet. Noach. Shet. Ve'ata. Noach, Seth, and you are all the same person. That's what he's saying. The three of you all, the same person. It says, Moshe Rabbeinu was a Gilgul of the Neshama of Noach, who was a Gilgul of the Neshama of Shet, who really was a Gilgul of Hevel. Hevel dies, and we see in the Torah that Hevel died, and when Hevel, was, when Hevel dies, it says Shet was born. It's Tuesday night. When Hevel dies, Shet is born 130 years later. It says Shet is born Tachat Hevel. So Moshe comes back as Shet, then he comes back as Noah, and finally he comes back as Moshe. So what is Hevel, Shet? Hevel, then Shet, Noah, Moses. We see that also from the word Neshama, soul, because this is the ultimate soul. Neshama is Noah, Shet, Moshe, Hevel. Now, according to the... Uh, so, we, so we see just from the parashiot, it ends, Nechoshet, Noach Shet Ve'ata. God is telling Moses a message, Noach Shet Ve'ata. The Khatam Sofer adds another illusion. He says, which is presented in the Agra de Kala, he says, these Gilgulims are also alluded to in Hashem's command to Moshe Rabbeinu. What does he tell him? He says, what are you supposed to take? Take Shemen. What's Shemen? Shet, Moshe, Noah. Again, three. Furthermore, the illusion of pure olive oil indicates that the Gilgulim were finally refined through Moshe Rabbeinu. But the Khatam Sofer is puzzled. Why is this fact alluded to here and not someplace perhaps more fitting, such as at the birth of Moses or at the death of Moses? Why did Hashem allude to these Gilgulim, these reincarnations, specifically in our portion in relationship to the mitzvah of Hadlakah, of lighting of the, of the, of the menorah in the Ben HaMikdash with pure olive oil? So we're going to explain why Noah reincarnated into Moses. We learned in the Gemara that the Academy of Rabbi Ishmael says the decree to punish and destroy the world with the Mabul, with the flood, was issued against Noah as well. Noah should have died in the flood. However, he was spared since it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of God says that Hashem says in the end of Bereshit before Parshat Noah, 
I've reconsidered my having made men, but Noah found favor, found favor in the eyes of Hashem. So this is his question. If Noah was included in the original decree to be destroyed in the flood, why did he deserve to be saved? And what does it mean when God said that Noah found favor in the eyes of Hashem? After all, the Torah says Hashem is in this time doing Midat Hadin. And Midat Hadin, right? There is no chesed. There's no kindness. There's it. So it seems Moses, I mean, Noah is saved as an act of compassion and kindness. Why did he deserve to be saved? The Khatam Sofer says. Ah, but he's saying he deserved to die. But maybe he didn't deserve to live. He didn't deserve to live. Maybe he didn't deserve at all. It said the Karash Baruch We for Allah. sure see he didn't deserve. Because if he really deserved, then he wouldn't have been in hell for a year. Yeah, the Karash Baruch God did it, right. He spared him because he needed seed for future generations. But we could also say, but, but, but you see, he's punished the year. Uh, if God really wanted to save him, he didn't have to put him in charge of the zoo. Okay, he didn't have to make him a slave to them. And not only was he a slave to them, the poor guy's running around feeding one after the other, one after the other, and then he comes to the lion one day and he's a little late, and what happens? The lion takes a swipe at him and uh, he becomes lame the rest of his life. So he says, and the lion's not there to apologize. He says, I'm doing you a favor, Noah. The only reason you're alive is because you're doing kindness to us to keep us alive. And that's why God kept you alive. That's one answer. He says, but we go further. Chatam Sofer says, Noah was a consummate tzaddik. He was a tzaddik, but he had one major flaw. He didn't venture out from his own Dalad Amot. He didn't go out from his own four cubits to influence the other people of his generation. The pre-Megadim explains that Noah sought seclusion with Hashem. He wanted to be alone with God. He didn't venture out to rebuke the people of his generation or to teach them the proper way to live and behave. We said when we went over Parashat Noah, if, he, if the story tells us 120 years, he builds the ark. 120 years, people ask him, what are you doing? He says, the end is near. Repent. How many people repented? None. How do you give zero batting average? Even the little Chabad kid on the street who doesn't know much gets one guy to put on tefillin. You know, you're you running around. How do you get zero? It says, the Zohar Kadosh faults him for not having prayed on behalf of the people of his generation to save them from the tragic deaths as Moshe did with Chet So we see that, that, that when Hashem tells Moshe, I'm going to destroy B'nai Israel, what does Moshe says? Mechaini hina. Race me please from your book. So he's overcompensating for his previous Gilgul. That's the baby. It says we call also, that we see that in the, in the, uh, the Haftarah that we read, we call the Haftarah, we call the, in the Haftarah, we call the waters May Noach. May Noach, the flood of Noach. So if you know anyone named Sandy, uh, I feel bad after that, you know, they took a lot of abuse. You don't want to be named after a terrible storm that destroys. This storm is called May Noach. It says, why is it called May Noach? Again, it says, because Noach deserved to die. He shouldn't have survived. Darizal teaches us that this is in fact why Noah was reincarnated into Moshe Rabbeinu. So what happens? God tells Noah, I'm going to bring a flood and I'm going to destroy the world. And what does Noah do? Fine. I'll build an ark and go into the ark. What should he have done? 
we see after the flood, he offers sacrifices and he prays. And God says, wow, Noah, that was so nice, I'll never bring a flood again. Noah then realizes, had I done this before, I may have stopped the first flood. And that's why he gets depressed. And that's why his whole downfall is. Because he realizes he possibly had the potential to save the world, and he didn't. So God gives Noah another chance. And he comes back, and God tells him, I'm going to destroy all the people. What are you going to do this time? And make a new nation just from you, like I did last time. I'm going to make a new world just from you. And what he does in the desert, he tells Moses, I'm going to destroy all the people, make a new nation just from you. What could Moses have done? Repeated the same mistake. And said, Because after, no, he didn't know. After the flood, he offers a sacrifice. What does God say after he offers the sacrifice? You know what, Noah? I appreciate that. I'll never bring a flood again. If God is committed to never bring a flood again, after, after the fact, then it's possible that before the fact, he would have at least delayed the first flood or stopped the first flood until someone else came along. It says that know that Noah, this is the Arizal, he writes, know that Noah was like Moshe, except that Noah failed to pray on behalf of his generation. Therefore he, Moshe, said mecheni, indicating that what? Take the word mecheni, memchet, nun yud, me noach, the waters of Noah. So the word forgive, so erase me, is the same exact letters as the waters of Noah. So Moshe is saying, Mecheni is saying, I understand. In May Noah, I screwed up. This time, we got to fix it. Therefore, it's named after Noah because he could have stopped it. And even though he did not pray on behalf of the generation, they were spared the flood. How many years did Hashem delay the flood? 120. 120 years. Who lives 120 years? Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu. So it was really in the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu that the flood was delayed 120 years. Wow. Says, but retroactive. I mean, retro, yeah. yeah. This is the significance of the Pasuk that says, because he is flesh, this is after, right? Because he is flesh, besides his days shall number 120 years. Hashem decides that that's going to be the length of the, the maximum length of a person's life after this. Does Moshe resume praying on their behalf to make amends for what he failed to do? Therefore, he said, Mecheni na, an expression of obliteration like the waters of the Mabul. His entire life, he constantly prayed for the generation to make amends for what he failed to do in those days. And he was able to try to do when they sinned with Chet This explains why Hashem's statement to Moshe, he says to him, Desist from me. Let my anger burn against them. I'm going to annihilate them. I'll make you a great nation. Hashem was suggesting to Noah, do the same thing you did last time. Just let it be. We'll kill them all. You'll start over. Hashem annihilated the whole world. And he produced a great nation from Noah. All the inhabitants of the earth after the Mabul of the children of Noah. Therefore Hashem wanted to test Moshe and say to Moshe, look Moshe, I'm going to kill them all. Make a whole world from you. Would he neglect to pray for them? Would he say, okay, hey, I'm going to be, everything's going to be from me. It says, 
due to his great affection for Israel, Moshe was willing to sacrifice his life to save Israel from annihilation. But if Moshe had decided, okay, Hashem, okay, let's go ahead and kill them and, and make me, would he have done anything wrong by doing so? Would that have been wrong? It was his suggestion. We would have probably had to have another Gilgul to fix it. He wouldn't have completed. So the, the people of the generation of the Mabul. Twice Hashem would have also spared his family, his immediate family. Assuming, yeah. So he says, to the bait question. So this goes on to the, the Arizal. So the Arizal, he teaches us in Sha'ha Pesukim. And this is quoting. He asserts that the people of the generation of the Mabul, Dor HaMabul, possessed a very important Neshamot. We've mentioned this before. That reincarnated in Bnei Israel in Egypt. The same souls who were the Dor HaMabul were the same souls who were the Dor Mitzrayim. The generation of the flood was the generation of Egypt. This explains why Paro decreed, what did he decree? Every male child you shall throw into the river. Just, that they were, just as they were punished with water in the generation of the Mabul, of the flood, so too they're punished with water in Egypt. In Mitzrayim, however, in Egypt, however, a high percentage of them were refined through the difficult labor, and ultimately they achieved their tikkun when they received the Torah at Har Sinai. Now when we combine these two pieces of information, the other one I always think of is that that Noah went into the Teva and in Noah's Teva the pitch, the, the tar was on the inside because the only ones he was trying to save were on the inside but when, no, when Moses was put into the Teva, the basket that his mother puts him in is called the Teva, the same word as the Ark where was the pitch? on the outside because the people he wanted to save were all around him the same word teva is only used in those two places. Now, so similarly, Noah, the spiritual leader of the generation of the Mabul, reincarnated into Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's what we see. So now we could better appreciate the statement of Chazal that the decree was issued even against Noah. However, he found favor in the eyes of Hashem. On his own, Noah didn't deserve to be saved, since he failed to rebuke the people around him and get them to change. Nevertheless, he found favor in the eyes of Hashem, who foresaw that he was destined to reincarnate as Moses, and Moses would rectify the flaws of Noah. Therefore, in that merit, Noah was excluded from the decree of the Mabul. So the future Noah comes to save, the future Moses comes to save Noah. And remember, in that in the spiritual world, there's no time. It's just hard to explain. So I guess uh, Noah must have had very big zuchut in order to to be Moshe. Yeah, Moshe is a hundred percent is a very high, the highest level soul there could be. Yeah, the neshama. Amazing. But he had that. That's why you see that he had the potential to be. That, that's why he had he he wanted to overcome the sin of Adam Harishon. Noah wanted to overcome Adam's sin. So what does Noah do? He first thing he does is he plants the vineyard and he squeezed the grape because if Adam failed because of the grape, because of the fruit, Noah was going to take it and use it to raise himself up. Instead, what does he do, Noah? He fails again. He failed to make the tikkun of, uh, of Adam. How was he going to raise him up? 
he because he would have made the tikkun through the fruit. But how would how? But oh, so that the he he wanted to face the same test as Adam. I'm, I want to face the test. I'm facing the test, and I'm going to use the wine to raise me up instead of bring me down. But how does it raise him up? The potential of wine is to raise up. That's why we have wine as kiddush. The potential of wine is to raise us up. But it's never going to be the same in, in the, uh, with, with Adam. The deal was not to drink. Ah, but, but, each one, but he's dealing with the same challenge in a different way. That's the part of the idea. But, but, so what I, what I originally said was I, I came up with the first conclusion based on Rabbi Avitan and Rabbi Adere. So this is the first conclusion. So Noah is according to according to the way he's teaching is that Noah explaining the Arizal in one place, he didn't appreciate. He didn't appreciate. He says that that uh, that that a person has to appreciate the world. If Noah would have appreciated the world and what God did and created a beautiful world, he would have prayed to have God stop. And not destroy the world. It says that a person has to be responsible and appreciate the world that Hashem gives us. That's one of the things we have to do. One of the questions we ask when we get to heaven, did you enjoy the world? Daryl Wine talks about how he travels all over the world because he's worried that when he gets to heaven, God's going to ask him, did you go see the glaciers and did you go see the equator and did you go see the jungle and did you go see... He wants to tell God, I, I saw all the beautiful world you created. I appreciate it. So he says, how far does a person have to go to appreciate this world? He says that don't hate an Egyptian. The Torah commands us. The Egyptian just punished us for 200 years, beat us, killed us. Still it says don't hate them. Even if they did evil. The question is, why do we have a Mishkan? So we talked about one reason last week. He says one of the reasons we have a Mishkan is because each of the utensils in the Mishkan remind us to appreciate Hashem. So you look at the Shulchan and you see the bread and you remind us, it reminds us that Hashem provides our sustenance. It reminded them in the desert that Hashem brought the man. And the man was, was a gift. We have a kior which is a water uh, fountain, or water basin, but with faucets. And that reminds us God gave us water in the desert. We should always be reminded. The Midrash lists each of the utensils in the Mishkan and says what each one is there to remind us to appreciate the world God gave us. It says, who's the first one not to appreciate the world God gave us? Who's the first one? that makes the major mistake and doesn't appreciate the world? Adam. How does Adam do it? God tells him, what did you do? What does Adam say? I didn't do it. It was the wife you gave me. So who is he blaming? Not the wife. God. Lack of appreciation. The Tower of Babel. They don't appreciate. They want to go and conquer God. You have a, a, a world I gave you. So we don't want you. We don't have anything to do with you. The Mishkan, says Darizal, is key to appreciate. Moshe appreciates. Moshe appreciates everything. He begs God not to destroy the people. You see in the beginning of Shemot, he goes out to see what's going on with the people. He sees one guy beating another. He wants to intercede. He sees anything going on wrong, he wants to help. 
He leaves Egypt. He comes to Midian. What's the first thing he sees? He sees God being... Being oppressed. The shepherds are oppressing the daughters of Yitro. What does he want to do? He wants to go help. He wants to help people because he appreciates life. He appreciates that. That's our responsibility. One thing I wondered about... Um, Moshe was, since he was a little baby, you know, Bacha took him to the palace. Who t- was he told he was Jewish at some point? Different opinions. I mean, different opinions. One opinion is, he, remember, he's, he, was, he was nursed from his mother. And uh, so you have one opinion, which you see in the movie. You know, remember the, the sister who shows him the, the cloth of a Hebrew slave, right? This is the cloth of a Hebrew. This is what you were wrapped in. So one opinion is he didn't know. And one opinion is he knew. Two different opinions. I don't know. You could look at it both ways. Could he speak when he was a child? Because if he could, then he could have, the mother could have spoken to him. So, but remember, she brings him back once he finishes nursing. How old right. is a child when they finish nursing? I mean, could be in those days, could be three, two usually. And how much are you going to teach a kid by the time he's two? Now, did he have a holiness, something about him, a sechel about him? That's why we have the story, which is a story about the, you know, the, the gold and the fire and the crown. And also, he was born circumcised, there was light coming from Exactly, so, so maybe, maybe there was something different about him. Right. So, but, but we see that, that one of the things that... So one of the things we discussed way back with, in Shemot, I think, was that why did... So imagine he's the son of Pharaoh, or the you know, stepson of Pharaoh, whatever you want to call him. And he goes and he kills some Egyptian guard. Okay? Now just imagine today, in Saudi Arabia, the crown prince goes and kills some policeman. Okay? What's going to happen? Nothing. Unless yeah. he's an adopted kid. No, even if he's an adopted kid, really, unless. nothing's going to happen. Unless... unless guys around you who were somehow astrology guys. Ah, but at this point, Moses is already... Remember, so now let's go back to the movie, because the movie really does have some things based on Midrash. He's come back from war. He's the leading general for Egypt. He's the most successful person in the kingdom. Whatever he touches turns to gold. Remember, he's blessed. You're Pharaoh, and you see you have a son... Maybe it's you. Maybe it is your daughter's son. Maybe he doesn't even know he's he's anything. He doesn't doesn't mean he knows. Maybe she said, "I had a baby." Okay, Mazel Tov. Now, the Egypt had how many dynasties in those years? Thirty some odd dynasties. You're the king. What are you always worried about? Insurrection. That's it. Who's the guy potentially there to take over for you? Moses. So, what do you do? I get rid of him as quickly as I can. And that's why maybe he's... They try to kill him or exiled or whatever we're going to say. Now, but so going back, it says, we see also, with regard to Dor HaPlaga, we see many times that when B'nai Israel worships Avodah Zarah, idolatry, God becomes upset. Right? It's the most ridiculous thing you could imagine. What do you mean God becomes upset? Okay, it's like me going home and my little kid, you know, or my grandkid tells me, I have this Barbie doll. This is my, you know, he, she, she has Ken. Okay, Ken. This is my grandpa. 
You're not my grandpa. This is my grandpa. I'm going to be upset. I, okay, it's a little kid. Nonsense. It's nonsense. So if, if B'nai Israel are worshipping an idol, or even if they're worshipping an angel that God created, why would God be jealous? Why would he upset? Why would he feel this competition? So what is God upset about? Says the Arizal, God is upset that there's a lack of an appreciation of God. That that's what we have to have. Hakarat atov, appreciation. He says, the golden calf, they make the golden calf next week, and they say, this is the God, these are the gods who took you out of Egypt. What do you mean, these are the gods who took you out of Egypt? You have no appreciation for Hashem? You have no appreciation for what God did? It says that the power of Moshe is the same as the power of the dove when he comes to tell Noah. It says that, Noah, you're upset? You're upset now, a year later? You're upset at what happened? Had you appreciated the world before you went into the ark? Then, this would have never happened. It says, what is, what is, what is Moshe? Moshe appreciates the world. The dove brings light to the world. Moshe brings light to the world because he has appreciation of everything and everyone. That's his nature. We see even when, when uh, we're going we're gonna to have uh, Purim. And I just put one little thing just uh, re- related to Purim. Haman, when he comes to Ahasuerus, the king, he says to him, I want to kill the Jews. Midrash says, king says, what are you, nuts? Anyone who starts with the Jews, in the end, they don't win. No matter what they accomplish, they pay the price. So Haman says, hey, Ahasuerus, don't worry. God is sleeping. What do you mean God is sleeping? What does it mean God is sleeping? And he's really saying that God is sleeping because the Jewish people don't appreciate God. They don't appreciate, the, they, don't appreciate they have a temple. They don't appreciate they had a temple. They don't want to have another temple. They're not connecting to God. So if they're not connecting to God, it's as if God is sleeping. So that what happens? There's a decree to destroy the people. And... Eliyahu Navi goes and he wakes up Tavot. Tavot says, I can't do anything. Goes to wake up Moshe. Moshe says, okay, I'll try to pray, but who's down there? Now, is Mordechai the, the, the greatest person around? For sure not. There's others that were greater than him. But Mordechai is the main guy who cares. He cares and he wants to help and he wants to build the Ben HaMikdash. Why is Mordechai in Shushan? Because he wanted to rebuild the Ben HaMikdash. Moshe is not here. In this parasha, Moshe is not here now. It says that, that Moshe is selfless. He dies, and that's the only time we realize how much we miss him. Because he's not there. So, in this week's parasha, he's commanded to understand this whole, the whole thing is to remind us that Moses is not there, but Moses really cared. We have also to think about that you have the pillar of fire and the menorah represents the pillar of fire. So when we look at the menorah lit, we see that God had the pillar of fire and we appreciate that. Hashem went in front of them. We had the clouds. The clouds relate to the kaporet that covered the ark. We remember the clouds every time we look at the kaporet. Everything there is to have appreciation. Oh, you want? Uh, 
Oh, if you, yeah, yeah. They thought Moshe, because Moshe had went on the mountain and they needed someone to lead them. Yeah, like right. the Rashi that the Satan would complete them. Right, but, but the idea though was that they, the interesting idea is that they weren't happy with the leadership of Moshe. Moshe's leadership was based on chesed. What they wanted was an egel. That we could, I guess, get to win next week. But they wanted an egel. They wanted an egel. An egel represents the bull, which represents the left side, which represents Dean. So the idea was this, just to quickly answer, that growth only comes through Dean, through tests and through heart. That's where you grow. You don't grow if you're being fed. You grow if you have to go out and work and learn. So they were saying that under Moses, we're not growing because Moses represents kindness. What we need is Dean to lead us. So they were rejecting Moses. They wanted Dean. But now, there wasn't a sin in the ego. The sin wasn't that they wanted to make an ego because God doesn't tell Moses to go down when they build the ego. God only tells them to go down when they start dancing around the ego because if their intent of the ego was really to grow, okay, so they're misdirected, but they had proper intention. But what their intention really showed behind the Egel was to throw off all Machut to throw off the, the yoke. And what the dancing means is, wow, this Torah has all these laws about who I could sleep with, when I could sleep with them, how I could sleep with them. I don't want that. I want to have Plato's retreat. I want to have a good time whenever I want to have a good time. And that was the real sin of the Egel. The sin of the Egel wasn't in the Egel itself. The Egel represented the chariot of Hashem that they saw crossing, because it says the foot of the angel was the foot of, a, of an egel, of a bull. And that's part of the idea. But now, the Ramban says that everything in creation, the purpose of creation, is to have appreciation. We say, Every soul should praise Hashem. So this was really what the Mishkan was about. Every breath to appreciate, and that's, he's saying that the, that, that the way to make the tikkun of Adam is through appreciation. So he says that's, that's one, one answer, one aspect. Going beyond this, which is where I ended up today. We have a book, and, and the book is, uh, was a book called Kitvot Ha'efod. It says that Hashem said to Noah, come to the Teva, you and your entire, genera- your entire household, because I saw that I have seen you to be righteous before me, Bedor Hazet. Bedor Hazeh, in this generation. If we calculate the generations from Noah until Abraham, how many do we have? We know it's 10. If we calculate Abraham to Moshe Rabbeinu, how many generations? Seven. Abraham, huh? Hazeh. So he says, what is Hazeh? The gematria of Hazer is hey and hey, five and five is ten, Zion is seven. So he says to Noah, ha, I saw that you're righteous, Bedor Hazer. What do you mean you're righteous, Bedor Hazer? In the 17th generation is when you're going to be righteous. And that also relates to when the mother opens up and says that she saw that Moshe was tall. 
was good because the gematria of Tov is also 17. So the 17 generations from Noah, he would come and fix. It says, again, both of them go into the Teva, both of them go into an ark. Hashem provides the rationale. He says, I see you, Bedor Hazed, Dor Hazed 17. It says that only when it comes 17, year, 17 generations and you're going to say, Mechini, erase me, will that be a tikkun for me, Noah? <coughs> this explains why Moshe says to Hashem, Mechini na misifrecha. Says, he says that, 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 that Moshe reminds Hashem of what he wrote in the Torah. Moshe, Hashem wrote that I reconsidered making man, but Noah, was, uh, he found favor in my eyes. We see from there that he spared Noah because Noah found favor. But why did Noah find favor? Because Moshe is eventually going to become the Gilgul. So Moshe is now going to tell God, God, you're testing me. I'm testing you. You said the reason I have to come back is because I didn't pray for the generation and if I had prayed, I would have saved all the people from the door Mabul. So I'm telling you now, Mechini, erase me. I'm not repeating me, Noah, if you don't forgive the people. And therefore, God, you must forgive the people. Moses uses this whole argument to turn it around against Hashem. Says that the Gilgul... He says that seeing as I'm the Gilgul of Noah and the decree was issued against me as well, I deserve to die in his place. I failed to rectify his mistake. That's the reason he was spared. So now we have a reason to see why the omission of Moshe's name in this portion of Tetzaveh. It constituted the fulfillment of Moshe's appeal. If not, Mecheni na misifrecha, erase me from your book you've written. By omitting his name, Hashem wished to reveal to all Bnei Israel the degree of Moshe's self-sacrifice on behalf of Bnei Israel. That Moshe really was willing to be wiped out. He says, he says that this compelled Hashem to honor Moshe's request, delete his name from this parsha. In this manner, Moshe achieved the tikkun for the neshama of Noach when he did so. This explains the illusion Inherit in this juxtaposition where we have Nechoshet Ve'ata, Noach Shet Ve'ata. So, so as we learn Moshe is a Gilgul of Noach, who is a Gilgul of Shet. Hashem does not mention Moshe's name in this Perasha because of the act of self-sacrifice praying on behalf of his generation. Therefore, the Neshama of Noach is alluded to by the words Mechini, which we, we brought up a few times. As pointed out, the word Shemen is also Noach Shet Moshe. Hashem commands them to light the lamps in the Ben HaMikdash with olive oil to commemorate the deed of the dove, bringing the branch to Noach, where we say, just as the dove brought light to the world, so too you are compared to the dove, meaning Bnei Israel, brings, light, brings olive oil and lights the lamp before me. We're going to finally, let's just close this with something from the Gemara and Horayot. Rav Yochanan says, and this is really, he brings now a whole difference between Noah and Moshe. And this I was reminded when, when Ariana, so I, my daughter Ariana was in Hafter. At, she went for 11th grade. Between 11th grade and 12th grade that summer, she went to a, uh, she went to a seminary for the summer. She came back and said, I'm not going back to Hafter. I want to go to a seminary for senior year. 
we had a meeting with the principals and they basically sat there and we watched and they told her listen you're a leader in the school you're a leader among the kids you're, you have a choice now either you could be Noah in the ark if you go to seminary and hide yourself in the ark or you could be Abraham and go out and help all of your friends around you so what did my daughter say? Before I could become Abraham, I have to be Noah in the ark. So the interesting is going to explain what's the difference really between Noah and Moshe. So we see that strange thing about olive oil. Just as olives, the Gemara says, just as olives cause a person to forget 70 years of study, olive oil restores 70 years of study. What does that mean? That's from the Gemara and Horeot. We have to explain why eating olives, raw olives, before they're, uh, what is it, uh, pickle? What do you call it when you, you ripen, pickle them? Before they're ripened. Ripen? No, but you have, to, you have to pickle, you have to, you can't just eat an olive off the tree, even if it's ripe. It's still bitter. This is that olive oil is capable of restoring what you could forget from, from, from olives. What's the difference? The Gemara says, so, so it says piha parcha bechokma. We say this in uh, in Eshet uh, Chayav. Piha parcha bechokma. The Torah chesed aleshona. Her mouth is open in wisdom, and the Torah of kindness is on her tongue. So the Gemara asks, is there a Torah of kindness and a Torah not of kindness? The Gemara says, yeah, there is. There's a Torah of kindness that's passed on to others, and a Torah that lacks kindness that's not passed on. To others. It says that a person who neglects to teach what he learns to other people is disparaged, for he's interrupting and preventing the transmission of Torah from one generation to the next. The Gemara says, whoever withholds, this is in Sanhedrin 91, whoever withholds the teaching of halakha from the mouth of a student, it is as if he robs him of his ancestral heritage. As it says, the Torah that Moshe commanded us is a heritage of the congregation of Yaakov. It is the heritage of all B'nai Israel since the six days of creation. Similarly, we find in the Gemara that Torah scholars who studied alone were severely punished. What is the meaning of that which is written in Yirmiyahu? There will be a sword against those who are alone. B'na'alu. There will be a sword against the enemies of those Torah scholars who each sit alone and engage in Torah study. This is also the message conveyed. So it's based, this is the Gemara, this is Berachot 63b. What is the meaning? It's quoted from Yirmiyahu 5036. This is also the message conveyed by the Mishnah and Pirkeavot. If you learn much Torah, do not ascribe any merit to yourself because this is the purpose of which you were created. The Midrash Shmuel Avodat Yisrael explained the Mishnah. If you learned much Torah, don't keep the precious commodity yourself. You have to teach it to other people because that's the purpose for which you were created. The main reason why man was created in this world is so that he could influence others with what he learned. This is the order of creation as indicated by the following Pasuk. Every, this is from, again from Yeshayahu. Every individual influences someone else and so on and so forth. Along these lines, the Avodat Yisrael adds a beautiful allusion from the Pasuk in Iyob, because man was born to toil, le'amal, 
He points out that the word le'amal can be interpreted as an abbreviation for lilmod al minat lelamed, that we are responsible to learn in order to teach. To teach, this is our purpose. So now we understand why Rabbi Yochanan is saying, olive causes a person to forget 70 years, olive oil to remember. We learn that, that oil is offered on the Mizbeach, fine flour mixed with oil. Similarly, this is the difference between the olive and the olive oil. The olive whose oil is trapped and confined within and cannot escape alludes to Torah study that's only kept by that person. He says, and that person doesn't share. As a consequence, it causes the Torah to be forgotten. In contrast, olive oil, which is extracted from the olive, he says, and it's released, he shares it with others. This is capable of restoring 70 years of lost knowledge. This, in fact, accurately describes the difference between Noah and his Gilgul, Moshe Rabbeinu. Even though Noah was a Sadiq, nevertheless, he resembled the olive that keeps its oil trapped inside. He didn't make an effort to venture out and teach his generation the ways of the Torah in its mitzvot. In contrast, Moshe Rabbeinu resembles olive oil. He teaches Torah to all of Israel. Thus, in this Gilgul, that's how he rectifies Noah. One keeps the knowledge, one spreads the knowledge. Based on what we discussed, we could comprehend why Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not mentioned here. Specifically in this portion, where they're told that they shall bring clear olive oil, crushed for illumination, to keep the lamp burning. The Gemara says, a person who wants to become wise should face the south. We said that faces towards the menorah. That the Shulchan is in the north, the menorah is the south. A person who wants to be wealthy, he, she faces the, the Shulchan. So the kindling of the menorah alludes to the light of the Torah. It's written, Kiner mitzvah v'torah or, that the mitzvah is like a candle and the Torah is like light. This is why Hashem says to Moshe, they shall bring you, Moshe, you yourself, clear olive oil. Hashem wanted them to light the menorah with olive oil so they would understand that the purpose of studying is in order to enlighten other people. Like olive oil that emerges from the olive and promotes memory. Hence Hashem explains that the reason for the mitzvah of taking olive oil is to keep the lamb burning continuously because it's a wonderful device for ensuring the perpetuation of the Torah. We can now comprehend the significance of the dove's deed after the Mabul. The dove returns to him in the evening, and behold, an olive branch is in his mouth. After the dove saw that the water receded from the surface of the earth, she wanted to tell Noah the necessary tikkun he has to perform. So what did she do? Noah, your problem was that you kept it all to yourself. What do you have to do? You have to be willing to teach. So she brought him an olive oil, hinting to him that he resembled the olive. He was keeping the oil confined and trapped within himself. Furthermore, she was indicating to him that he would have to come back as Moshe. Moshe would make amends for him by doing what? By kindling the menorah with the oil those first seven days. And that's why Moshe has the first seven days that he's the Kohen Gadol, allowing the oil to emerge for the benefit and enlightenment of others. At this point, we finally appreciate the cryptic wisdom of the sages of the Midrash. Just as the dove brought light to the world, so to you, who are compared to the dove, bring olive oil and lit the lamp before me. It says, Moshe reincarnated or rectified the Neshama of Noah, who was a Gilgul of Shet. 
The tikkun began with his willingness to sacrifice his life in order to spare Israel from extermination with his bold statement of mecheni na. He says it was for this reason. Also, if you take the words mecheni na and you take that whole step, mecheni na, it's ani, mecheni, ani noah. So he says that it's for this reason that he's admitted from this week's perasha. The tikkun continued with giving the mitzvah of the kindling of the menorah with olive oil to Israel. So we gained a beautiful insight. The Khatam Sofer, they all say, This is Shem and Zayit Zach, is Shet, Moshe, and uh, Shem and Noach. He says that, and really, what's the difference and what's the reason for the Gilgul? Is because we have a responsibility not to keep it within ourselves, but to share what we have, the knowledge with others. A person who doesn't share his knowledge, his knowledge becomes very stale and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't improve. So I have two really lessons. The one lesson was there has to be appreciation of everything in the world. That's one of the ideas that Tarizal brings based on the parasha. The other lesson that I got from, from Shvilei Pinchas is that we have to know that the Torah has to be spread just like the, the olive oil. And that's really the difference from Noah to Moshe. And that's the lesson to everybody that they have to try to do. Thank cool.